0: Before we dive into my beautiful conversation with Mig Wolf, I want to take a moment to acknowledge what's going on in the world right now, at least from where I sit in my chair. It's Sunday, June 21st, as I record this message. And across the world, people continue to stand in protest against systems of oppression and racism that destroy the lives of people of color, particularly here in America with our centuries-long history of violence against Black people. I recorded my conversation with Meg over a month ago, and I continue to do this dance between responding to the present moment, holding it, while also acknowledging that the world is bigger and greater than any one conversation we might have. And that feels especially true right now as we wrestle our way back to some kind of, some sort of normalcy in the wake of the pandemic, and also realize that that normalcy has not served any of us For far too long. For those of you on my newsletter, you know that I've been writing about this for the past couple weeks, trying in my own humble and inadequate way to make some sense of what's happening in our world right now and how we might respond from a place of love for the sake of all people who face depression over the years. The timing of this show is such that we'll always be a couple weeks behind what's going out there on the global stage. So I invite you over to my newsletter if you want to stay plugged into current moment responses, including what my community is doing to raise money for the Black Lives Matter movement, and also the work that those of us who identify as white or have white skin and the privileges that come with it, the work that we can do together on our own to become allies in the quest for love, justice, and equity for all human beings. The bottom line is that I'm standing for a world where every human being thrives. And I hope this show, in its own small way, contributes to that, both in your life and in the lives of the people that you touch. But more importantly, I invite you, in whatever way you're called, to step up and take action towards that future. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Let's dive into the show. My guest today is Meg Wolf. Meg is a remarkable human being. She's a leadership coach who leverages her background as a professional actor to help leaders develop their presence and communication skills so that they can lead with more authenticity, deeper purpose, and clearer vision. She works especially with business leaders and nonprofit leaders who are committed to building organizations that make a difference in the world. These are all the reasons why I was drawn to invite Meg onto the podcast. But what I quickly discovered is that she has a deeply personal story. A story of illness, recovery, and a newfound sense of purpose as a parent and as a human being in the world that was deeply moving for me. When she shared with me a piece of this story, I knew that's what we had to talk about on the podcast today. Meg is based in New York City. And this particular episode was recorded right around the time that conversations were emerging around what it looks like for us to re-enter life in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. And her own story is a journey of re-entry, a painful one and a powerful one and an inspiring one. So let's all take a deep breath, get settled in. and hear what Meg Wolf has to share with us. Meg Wolfe, welcome to the Wonder Dome. Thank you. So good to have you here.
1: It's really good to be here.
0: When I reached out to you, it was in the context of our shared professional interests as coaches and artists. And, you know, we had some wonderful rich juicy conversations about human development and creativity and leadership and executive presence. And it was all really, just great. A sense of, of finding your people, you know, mm-hmm. you find someone who's one of your people. So, I, so when I started doing this podcast, you were immediately someone I said, I want to bring Meg on because I think she has a lot to offer a lot of people. When I invited you, you shared with me a really personal story. You said, Andy, I want to come on and maybe we'll talk about all that stuff. We probably will, but there's, there's a layer to it that you don't know about a layer of, of illness and recovery, a layer of, of isolation and emergence that feels really important to share, particularly in this moment of pandemic, but actually really for anyone who. Has ever or will ever weather a crisis that connects to their illness or their health or their well being or their stability. And when you share that with me, you say, Yes, that's the conversation we need to have. So I want to say, really grateful for you for your willingness to step in because I know you haven't shared this with a lot of people. Um, and I know that it's going to impact anyone who hears it. So. That's what we're up to, Megan. And I don't want to steal your thunder. Like, tell me where you want to start. <laughs> tell me what you what you want to share. What what moved you to say yes? I'll come on the show, and I want to talk about this thing.
1: Thanks, Andy. I uh, yeah, I've I've not. I've been seeking for a way to integrate my own health journey into my work because um, it's intertwined. But for a while, I haven't been talking about it. I, I feel like I, I just didn't know how yet. And um, just recently, I was delivering at an executive education program, and I was chosen by one of my partners um, to be the lead for, out of a whole a whole bunch of facilitators for this global program, and it was a big honor. I'm about six, seven years into this work and, and I, it was a program on storytelling. Mm -hmm. So I, I had a story all ready to go and it was a inspiring, I was hoping it was an inspiring story. It was a little bit on the safe side. It wasn't Mm -hmm. the story I really wanted to share, but the story I really wanted to share, I was, um. I was worried that it was too dramatic, too intense, too much making it about me. And then I realized that part of what we were teaching in the workshop was not only storytelling, but about personal storytelling and the risk, taking risks and um, being vulnerable and how connecting it can be. And I realized I, I need to do that. I need to model what it is I'm teaching. And not shy away from the hard story and so I, I told it for the first time in sort of a bigger setting and maybe for the first time in my work context and um, not only did it feel good for me to share but it also really connected with a lot of people and um, I got good feedback that it 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 did the the job of setting the day up for folks to feel like they had permission to take risks and to share and That our personal stories can be inspiring. Not that they have to always be stories of struggle or illness, um, but now that we're in this time where we're not having face-to-face programs and everything's virtual, um, it's coming up for me a lot. This my my time when I was sick. Um, It was about seven years ago, and I was, you know. um, it was the last time that the world sort of stopped for me. And, and that's what I feel right now. I feel like with COVID, we're about six weeks in in New York and New Jersey right now to being in that shelter in place, self-isolate, um, everything shut down. And it's been just, it's been reminding me so much of that other time when I just stepped out of my normal Hmm. existence stepped out of my normal life everything stopped um and and so it not only have i been reflecting about the lessons i learned during that time but (sighs) what it means for us collectively to stop and have to think about our health and the health of our planet and the health of our neighbors and and to have to just stop our normal way of life yeah. and that there's a lot of opportunity there in those moments. Yeah. So I I do feel called to to connect those dots for myself but then also to to share what if anything I you know how how it made me grow and the hopes that it'll be inspiring for other people to to you know Take advantage of this time, to take advantage of the pause,
0: to get bigger, mm.
1: to get healthier.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Meg. And so I sense the. Someone recently shared with me the quote from Eve Ensler, who is the founder of the Vagina Monologues. And she said, Oh, yeah. She did something to the effect. I'll, I'll try and get the actual quote in the show notes. but. The, the paraphrase is something to the effect of when we give, we give to the world what we want and need. Mm. We're when we do that, we're healing parts of ourselves Mm -hmm. and the process inviting in others to heal parts of themselves. So there's sort of this sense of like, I love, and, and in a moment, I want you to tell the story, but mm. right before you do, I just want to underline, like you had a moment where you said, I could tell the safe story. I could tell the, the story I think that people want to hear, mm-hmm. or I could just tell my true story, the one that feels edgy, the one mm-hmm. that feels scary. And, and the fact that you kind of listened to yourself at that edge and said, I'm going to go to the place that feels a bit more uncomfortable because I sense that I need it. And I sense mm. that maybe... There's something there opened up a lot for your group. So I just want to invite everyone who's listening. Like there's, there's an opportunity here. If you're sitting with something you're scared of, but you really feel that you need, it might turn out that sharing it with the, with the world in the way that Eve Ensler describes could help you heal and could help other people heal too. So
1: mm.
0: yeah, thank you for leaning into that. And I wonder, could you just, could you tell us, tell us the story in yeah. yeah, whatever yeah. way you're comfortable?
1: Okay. Okay. So 2012, I am 37 at the time, and I'm living and working in Brooklyn and New York as an actress. I've been making a living in the arts for about 15, 16 years since 2000. Um, and, oh, I guess it was 12 years at that time. Yeah about 12 years of being an actress and, and I was three weeks pregnant when I received a diagnosis of cancer, uh, breast cancer. And I was, you know, horrified and scared. And I was, um, I wasn't even that Ready to become a mom? You know, it was more like my husband really wanted to have kids, mm-hmm. and I couldn't. Uh, I wouldn't, I'm the oldest of eight kids, actually, and
0: eight kids. And we yeah, talk about that. But. Yeah,
1: that's another conversation, <laughs> uh, or maybe this one. But but so I just I had sort of I was scared of being a mom. I was scared of. I knew how much work it was, <laughs> and I didn't know if I was strong enough. When I found out that I had cancer. Um, immediately I came in contact with a deep strength. I just, I just, a fighter, a fighting side of me came out that I didn't know was there. Mm. Um, and I, I talked to five different oncologists. My husband and I went around and, and talked to all the best doctors we could uh, and they all said that it, they could treat me during my pregnancy. That they that there were drugs that they could give me that wouldn't cross the placenta wall. Um, so that the best optimal treatment for me would be to not have the baby, not continue the pregnancy. They could give me the strongest drugs right away. Um, but that if I if I didn't, ha- um, but if I did that, that I would likely. That maybe never have a, a child because at 37, your fertility is already, you know, waning, I guess, 35 and up. You're a geriatric pregnant which is crazy. But, but they said, you know, chemo does a number on your fertility anyhow. And at your age, you know, likely this is the only pregnancy you'll ever carry. So if you want to have a child, um, this is probably your only chance. And we feel really confident that we can safely treat you, that there is a treatment protocol we can follow where we'll be able to um save your life and your baby will be fine which was impossible to believe that mm-hmm. I you could get chemo while you're pregnant um I you know I'm the kind of person that wouldn't walk behind someone smoking a cigarette while I'm pregnant I don't eat at the salad bar you know like all these mm-hmm. the safest I could possibly be and you're putting dangerous chemicals in your body it was just a horrifying thought um but if you know I had to surrender I mean I chose to surrender to the to the um to the experts. And that's why I saw five different oncologists cuz they all separately told me the same story and so we said we're going to do it and um it was a crazy crazy time obviously as you can imagine really scary but also, it was a really beautiful time because it was the f- first time in my life that I had been, I, you know, I just gave myself complete permission to do nothing but take care of myself and the life growing inside of me. I just, you know, it's, I, I, I was able to just shut everything down and receive from everyone around me who I'm very privileged to have a lovely support network of friends and family. And my husband was incredible. He cooked beautiful meals for me and I was able to really just focus on my health and the health of my, of my, my baby. And so in that sense, it was a sacred time. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it reminds me of this time in some ways, because Mm -hmm. Everything stopped. You just become very singular and things that, you know, everything hasn't stopped for everyone right now. We're all working still. We're all, but there's that sense of that. At least I feel, and I'm hearing with my clients and my friends and that, that there's this sense of suspension, you know, suspension of time, suspension of the ordinary suspension of our ordinary way of life. That is you know, dis- it's it's destabilizing for a lot of people, and and we go in and out of uh, the way that we relate to it <laughs> at times healthier than others, and but but the, it, it, we're encountering something that's outside of our control, and the one thing we can control is how we relate to it, um, and 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 then you know there's there's the so it's change, it's managing change, and then there's the, the how do you manage when the change changes? You know, people are talking about yeah. lifting restrictions, and I think it was Michigan or Wisconsin, where, where was it that some some state has lift Georgia, some state has lifted restrictions as of mm. today, and they're, they're starting to slowly I open know, back yeah. up. Wow. And yeah, I don't know what's going to happen here um, at the epicenter with, with all of that, but... I'm not sure what's happening in Boston for you all. Are you talking, I know schools are closed in Boston throughout yeah. through the end of June. Yeah. So who knows? But but I feel part of the reason I wanted to, to talk about this now is that I feel that it is a really good time to think about how we return,
0: mm.
1: when we return.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Because when I came off that, when I came out of my, it was a. Yeah, there's just a lot. There was a lot that I. There's this sense of wanting to return to your. To how things were before. Yeah. I had this real. I mean I, I went back on auditions. I would go on auditions with a wig before my hair was completely grown in. Oh, I guess I should finish the story my My son was born healthy
0: Thank you. I, was gonna want, I wanted to make sure we clarified that for everyone yeah. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, the story ends well i um I you know I was bald when he was born, but he was born with a full head of hair, so the placenta j- did its job, mm-hmm. and I had a healthy baby baby boy and um, oh, it was a dramatic crazy time. We were scheduled. I was scheduled to deliver the Monday that Hurricane Sandy hit, and I had to be induced because they were timing my chemo treatments to be such that I didn't go too long without having chemo. So that that um, you know, if there's any cancer in your bloodstream, you want to make sure that it doesn't. You don't have too long in between the treatments, so you're, you're keeping the cancer at bay, whatever it may, wherever it may be. If it may be a lot of unknowns, but if I had too many treatments in a row, my body my body's platelets and my baby's platelets would be compromised and the platelets are the things that you need to heal from any kind of
0: yeah. cuts or um, right.
1: any kind of trauma that happens during childbirth which
0: There's all, is, of is kinds pretty, of all kinds of craziness yeah. can go down
1: yeah. it's not the best design system for bringing people yeah. into the world but not much to do about that but um so so we had picked a date to be induced so that we could control all those factors. And that was the date that hurricane Sandy hit. And I was this close to delivering at NYU. I mean, there was, there was craziness going on, but luckily my OB, um, did postpone it two days later. And so, um, I ended up delivering at Mount Sinai because NYU had gotten flooded and it, even its generator went down, and so I was—I had my team of do, NYU doctors at Mount Sinai, and that ended up being a, a kind of um, divine timing because my—we needed to have a, a forceps delivery, and the world-renowned forceps, Dr. Frank, was there. Um, he's a Mount Sinai guy, and he was able to to proceed um, to perform that procedure, mm. and he was like the. Mm. the a world-renowned forceps specialist. None of this really registered with me at the time, but I heard about it all after. And um,
0: yeah, there's something about how we kind of pick up the pieces of our own story and and the small miracles and unexpected coincidences and just beautiful to hear that. It's like, you're just in it. You're Mm. pregnant, you're battling cancer there's a freaking hurricane that's that's taking landfall the day you're supposed to go into labor. I just can't imagine. Except now, suddenly, as you said, we all kind of find ourselves in a version of that, right? Yep. Like we've been working on. I know people who have been working on projects that suddenly. Yeah. Just uh, a friend of mine is a is a director and producer of plays and had spent months in rehearsal enough the play is just gone all that work all that energy and he's you know and and that's like a privileged loss in a lot of ways there are people who are losing jobs and people who are feeling pressure to go back to work uh even though that might put them at risk there are people who are at work and who are at risk and losing lives right so yeah. there's, there's, this, there's a lot in here
1: i kept feeling that sense of privilege andy um I did. I, I kept thinking back, you know, thank God I have health insurance through the Screen Actors Guild. Thank, it was great health insurance. I mean, I'm so privileged to have, like I said, that network of people helping me out. I was privileged to be able to keep my baby and, you know, and he came out healthy. There's just so much to celebrate. So in some ways, as crazy as it was, I feel like, you know, I feel sad for people who are going through cancer without getting to hold a beautiful baby at the end of
0: it. Mm. It's,
1: it's bizarre, but Mm. he kept me going, you Mm. know, and then, yeah.
0: There's this, you said earlier that a fighter, a part of you you didn't Mm. know was there, this fighter part emerged. And I want to talk about her and, and I want to maybe talk about her in the context of this emerging field of, of what some people are calling post-traumatic growth. And I don't know if you're comfortable with that, that language, but I really feel like what you're describing is a powerful example of you didn't ask for any of it. And the choice that you thought you would have made, like the, like, I don't want to blow up my lifestyle. I don't want to, I'm, I'm an actor. I'm, I'm making a living. I'm, this is why would I want to, suddenly that choice was sort of taken away from you. And there was a much deeper choice. It was like, am I willing to put my life at risk to bring this new human life into the world. Am I willing to do that? And you said yes. And in saying yes, you came out the other side of it. You're like, I, how could I ever have thought about saying no to that, right? <laughs> so can you talk more about that that fighter part of you that emerged in the face of what is just undeniably a really like hard freaking decision to have to make? yourself and your family and your, and your future.
1: Mm. I guess. I, I guess it's, you know, I had to be strong. I had to, I think if it had just been me going through cancer and not being pregnant, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to know what I would have been like, but I think it awoke in me this sort of protective, Mm -hmm. the mother, it, it, you know, it's funny. It's such a great question, Andy. I think part of the reason I was so resistant to to motherhood till the age of 37, till this happened is because I looked at, all the sacrifices you have to make as a mother.
0: Hmm.
1: And I and I looked at it as like this sort of suffering <laughs> position of 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 like almost disempowered. I I related to the archetype of mother as as a disempowerment. Hmm. Because of all the sacrifice I I saw around me. And what I wasn't counting on was the strength. And it's obvious now, you know, to me, but the strength that mothers have, the strength that parents have, the strength that anyone has when they care about something outside of themselves. Well, In this sense, it was also inside of me. So it was self-preservation too, but it's like, it's really, I think it's about purpose.
0: Hmm.
1: I think it's about feeling like, Will The question was, will you fight for
0: this? And it's funny because it sounds like had someone asked you that question before you were pregnant, even just taking aside sort of the cancer equation, but just a more general like, will you fight for bringing a child into the world? You might have said like, I'm not sure I would but then the moment you actually had to ask and answer the question it was almost and tell me if i'm wrong here but it almost sounds like the answer was of course i'll fight for this like it was almost like that part just stepped up for you is that right mhm yeah so i wonder like i guess what i what i'm feeling into here is you also said something really lovely you said that you 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 were able to step away and take, it was the first time you had ever really taken care of yourself mm. and that you were also taking care of this life growing inside of you. And and, and now you're underlying that as like a real source of purpose. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder for, for anyone who's listening who might be dealing with a very specific personal version of what you specifically and personally dealt with or, or the more general experience we're all having, like what, what might, what, what might you invite all of us who don't have a literal mm. life growing inside of us, but perhaps might have something else that's growing a, a brilliant idea or a sense of purpose or a sense of possibility or a new career or, or anything that might be growing. How would yes. you invite us into that, that question?
1: Yeah. I love that. It's, I think it's about raising the stakes on yourself because that's what Mm -hmm. happened to me when I got that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. It was all of a sudden it wasn't casual. It was life or death. And it Mm -hmm. was, you know, um, you don't get another shot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You, you know, this isn't, this isn't a maybe later it's a now or never. And, I think we, many of us, and I know I did. I would, so I'll just speak from my own experience, and maybe you and and your listeners can relate to this. But I was walking through my life, really, in a sense, in a in a sense lulled by the idea that I had all the time in the world to do whatever I was called to do. You know that I could do it later. Um, that knowing that eventually we all die but not having to face that reality in a real way mm. um, it just brings everything into sharp focus and so I don't want my loved ones or anyone to have to f- have a life-threatening illness in order to become galvanized around that which is important yeah so the how you can do that for yourself is to just you know look at your place in this experience of life for what it is that it is it is not a permanent thing we can we can be Things change in an instant, our circumstances. You know, um, six weeks ago, if someone said my now seven-year-old son would be home with us and not in school, I would have said, that's crazy, even though I knew it was happening in other parts of the globe. And now the reality is here, and we've all adapted. We're really adaptable. And that's a good thing, but it's also we can lull ourselves into a a sense of complacency. And so the thing that's growing inside you, I mean, it sounds trite, but you, you don't, you are not guaranteed another day. You're not guaranteed, um, another life. I just watched defending your life last night. Again, Mm -hmm. it was the movie that was, um, such a, I watched it after nine 11 to Mm -hmm. kind of, um, which was the other time that the world stopped, um, to kind of restore my faith in humanity. I watched it again last night and it still holds up. It's pretty cheesy, but it's Meryl Streep at her best. And, uh, and there's, you know, there's the idea that we have multiple lives in that movie. And I would love to believe that, but we don't know. We just don't know. And so whatever is burning inside of you now is the time. It, it's almost like ask yourself if today is my last day, you know, what would I do? And I, that's, because that's the question I, I had to face was this is it it's now or never. And,
0: I offer one other thing to build on what you're saying that I'm noticing here, yeah is that you not only came face to face with the fact of your one life and that and and that in itself can be incredibly sharpening right like you're gonna look at the world that is not a lulling state to be in that is a very activated present aware state to be in but also that you were intensely conscious of of another that you had a sense of of love and responsibility towards and that Mm -hmm. love and responsibility was a motivating force and your commitment to get through this and to grow and to change Mm -hmm. and when i think about like when i think about your invitation for us to raise the stakes on ourselves, which I love, like, that's such a great, you should put that up on your coaching website if you have <laughs> <right. laughs> But like, I yeah. love that invitation. I've really been tuning into this idea of legacy lately. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that, that we are all of us, the beneficiaries of, of both good and ill of everything that all of our, every choice our ancestors made. Mm -hmm. Right. And and like our parents and their parents and our great grandparents and our great like a hundred billion people have lived and died over the course of human history, at least that we're aware of rough estimate. Mm -hmm. And all all of them like we're here because of all of them and your son and my daughter and anyone else around us, we could potentially be raising the stakes for ourselves on behalf of others. Right. To create some future that might not even, right. Like who you said, I couldn't imagine six weeks ago having to have my son at home. Could our grandparents have imagined a hundred years ago that, you know, we'd be able to talk to each other over this video technology and, you know, travel the world and jet planes until suddenly we couldn't travel the world and jet planes, mm-hmm. right? Like, it just is just so remarkable. So there's some future out there waiting for us. And I feel a sense of that and what you're describing too.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so to have like a deep respect for what wants to come through you, yeah. what wants to be born through you, no matter what it is that, yeah, a sense of responsibility um, I mean, I could have easily said, "I, you know, I'm too scared. I want to do the most conservative thing. And um, that would have been fine. That would have been authorized medically and socially and even spiritually in my world. But um, yes, something kicked in, something protective kicked in, like the mother archetype, which we all have, men and women, mm-hmm. you know, that... The urge to to nurture what can only come through you. Awesome. And that it absolutely applies to ideas and um, even even forgivenesses. Right? You may be the only person who can forgive someone in your mm. family system of origin. You might be the only person who can deliver that. Mm. Gift to someone, yeah.
0: um,
1: or or to yourself, <laughs> because yeah. you know forgiveness is for us as much as for the person we forgive, maybe more so. Um, and so, kind of rising to the responsibility of that, not in a way that we push ourselves around, uh, not in a self-flagellating way, in a in a in a a kind way, a compassionate way, knowing that it's hard, but but I guess I'm talking about rigor and it's, it's challenging for me because I really struggle personally. And then even when I'm working with people to, to help balance out rigor and, and sort of a softer, more compassionate, you know, we, we have days where we don't, we don't want to, you know, it's rainy and we're, We might not want to get up and go run or write start, you know, write work on our project that we have inside of us. And sometimes it is resourceful to hit snooze and sleep and but but sometimes it's not. And so can we be rigorous and compassionate at the same time? And I remember when I was coming back from my my illness and I, you know, I had a little I had a little baby and um I amongst every after everything I'd gone through I also wanted to get back in shape (laughs) for health reasons but also because you know I was still acting at the time and I you know I wanted to get my body back and all that stuff and I remember going to the gym and feeling so disheartened at how weak I was I was so weak compared to how I was before and I, rem- I was working with a wonderful therapist who specialized in, in um, breast cancer patients, actually. And um, she was really, she she was lovely. She told me, you know, it's it's great to want to work out and exercise. Are you doing it because you want to fix something that's that's wrong with you? Or are you doing it with curiosity to see what your mur- miracle of a body is capable of? This body that has allowed itself to be healed with the help of the medical establishment and has healed itself from the surgeries that I'd had. And um, this miracle of a body is not the same body that you had before you were pregnant and went Mm -hmm. through cancer. It's a different body, but what can it still do? And coming to that sort of recovery, that rehab, if you will, from a place of, of curiosity and about, what was still possible as opposed to a, I just want to get my strength back, you know?
0: Hmm.
1: And that frame was, was really, it was, you know, it's really subtle, but it was really profound.
0: Yeah. I mean, for me, I hear you use the word rigor and compassion side by side and also curiosity, but it's almost like, what would it mean for us to be rigorously compassionate or Mm rigorous, curious Mm -hmm. as opposed to just rigorous or just disciplined? Like, okay, I've got to work out, like that person on the treadmill next to me who I actually have no idea what their journey's been like, Mm -hmm. no idea how long they've been training. I have no idea if they are an accomplished athlete or uh, they are single and don't have parental responsibilities or any of that. And yet this is such a common... Oh, yeah pattern that we all get sucked into, and I think there's I think you have a lot to teach us about this, which is to compare our inner experience and the way we think we should be or we're supposed to be to someone else's outer appearance. And it sounds mm-hmm. like your therapist was helping you reckon with that, like actually, the miraculous, beautiful thing was the fact that you were alive. Mm-hmm. And that you could step on, you could still step onto a treadmill.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How cool is that?
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the desire to, when I was motivated by the, the impulse to kind of fix myself, you know, to go back to the way that I was before, that was denial, that was born out of a de- a desire to deny what I'd been through, which was also, I can have compassion for that too. Of course, I didn't, I, you know, I was going to resist integrating that this thing happened to me. Of course, I want to just go back to the person I was before when I was going from audition to audition and I didn't understand about looking at my mortality in the face and, you know, <laughs> having a lumpectomy when my, the um, fetus was 12 weeks old and coming out of it and not knowing if we would hear the heartbeat on the ultrasound after that. You know, just all the, all the particulars of going through something like this. I, I, You know, there was a big part of me that wanted to go back to who I was before all of this. And, and, and that's the danger of a return. to normalcy. Because we can't. We cannot go back. It's not possible. We're never who we were yesterday. And it's also not resourceful because we are meant to be changed by our experiences. We don't have to grow. We can shrink. We can contract. We can push things away. um, Or we can look at the shitty circumstance of getting cancer when you're pregnant or the shitty circumstance of a pandemic. Um, And we can say, how am I going to learn from this? How am I going to grow
0: here? You said that, what did you say again? We, we have to, learn from what happens to us. What was that? How did you phrase that?
1: We are meant to. We're meant to, yeah. To be changed by our experiences. We're not meant to stay the same. We're meant to be changed.
0: Right. And what strikes me when you say that is is there is this quality that we all have, this longing to stay with what is. Yes. As you said, like the what is is constantly already in the rear view mirror. Like who you were Mm -hmm. Even if you just are totally healthy, who you were yesterday is not who you are today.
1: Sand streaming through your fingers, yeah. just yeah. disappearing.
0: And so the question of like, what can I learn from this seems to me to be the, the question that gives shape to that sand. And when we think we're maintaining the status quo, you said like we shrink. Mm-hmm. Like actually, if we're not, and we see this built into our biology, if you're if you're not just like using muscle, the 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 analogy of a muscle, if you don't lift a muscle, not only does it atrophy and get weaker over time, but eventually over a longer period of time, the, the tissue can start to deteriorate. Right? Mm-hmm. Like You actually might lose the capacity to grow that muscle back in a way that you could if you were constantly asking the question, how can I grow this muscle today? Mm-hmm. So that's this, I think that's the thing that a lot of us Lose touch with, or never realize, is that by choosing not to grow, by choosing not to ask the question, "What can I learn from this?" We inadvertently put ourselves in a place where we're not only not learning, but we're actually shrinking. We're actually, we're actually kind of the sand is just running through the hourglass.
1: Mm-hmm. All we have are the experiences we're going through, and so um, to not internalize them and and yeah recognize the sand for the shape that it is you know mm. that that this is this is what you have i mean it's i will also say though on the other hand it is completely understandable to want to go back to a safe place before, you know, I have a lot of compassion for my impulse to do that when I was coming out of cancer. I have a lot of compassion for anyone's impulse to want it. When, when COVID is quote unquote over, if it's ever over, to want to just step right back into the life that you were living before, because it's scary to live with uncertainty. It's scary to acknowledge that who we were yesterday is gone. It's, Mm. it's, a completely human, I mean, we distinguish ourselves from other animals by creating all kinds of structures in in our lives, really elaborate structures, not just a beaver dam, but like really elaborate shelters to keep ourselves safe. And there's a natural tension between growth and safety. And safety is a a completely understandable impulse. And and sometimes it is resourceful. But that said... We cannot erase, we cannot rewind, so finding safety in the new in the now, the new now in new ways, and this is an opportunity like I did when I came out of that experience of um, after my pregnancy to to really examine once you've had a time to step out to step out of your life and 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 to have to have to press pause on so many things that you've been taking for granted, it's a really good opportunity to, you know, reexamine what things are still working. You know, it's like when you put your seasonal clothes away, you put your winter clothes away for the summer, and then you come back the next winter and it's it's a fresh time to take a look at, oh, do I still, does this sweater still fit my my body or my lifestyle or my, who I want to be, or am I, am I, does it have too many holes and I'm going to get rid of it? Or, you know, it's, it's a a good time to re-examine the things around us that we take for granted and say, do we, does this still work? And we have a great opportunity as a culture to do that right now. Mm. You know, um, and my fear is that we won't because the impulse to return to normalcy is so strong and understandably so, that we just want to get back to the way things were so we can feel safe. But how safe were we, really? Mm. And one of the silver linings about this this whole time, I think, is that we are coming closer to being able to really see uh, inequity and gaps in what, we all have access to in terms of safety in terms Mm -hmm. of what that looks like. You know, it's, it's a privilege to be able to shelter in place safely. It's a privilege to be able to work from home. It's a privilege to be able to, you know, to homeschool your kids. And there are aspects of our old lives of our old life collectively as a culture that we shouldn't bring back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My computer charger, stopped working recently and it was like, oh, I have to, the only way I can get a new computer charger is either to go out and risk Mm. my life Mm. or to ask someone else to risk their life on my behalf. That actually like the convenience. So I'm just, for me, what you're saying is like, here's a very moment where I was had to, it's really the world is asking me to look, you want to get a computer charger delivered to your door. What is the real cost of that for you and for the person who delivers it? Yeah. And so I'm wondering if we might, in the, in the last stretch of this conversation, start to draw this out a bit because you you were someone who returned. Mm-hmm. And there was a part of you that wanted to go back to normal and a part of you that wanted safety. And then, and then there was a part of you that was willing to kind of look and say, how can I learn from this and how can I evolve? Yeah. And, and just talk us through that a bit more. What what were you working with? There was the, the feedback from your therapist and the treadmill and wanting mm-hmm. to be in shape. Like tell us what else you were working with and how you mm-hmm. added that complexity.
1: Did just try to dive back in.
0: Um we lost audio for a second, Meg. So um just just start your answer again for okay, and I'll ed- edit that.
1: Okay. Yeah. I tried desperately to dive back in to the life I had before. I had a wig that I would wear to auditions when my hair grew back in enough. I bleached it platinum blonde. I was previously had dark dark brown hair, and I uh, sort of rocked that look for a little while i I went back to work. Um, I moved three times in seven years. I started um you know I, I definitely I definitely look back and see that I was running and I was I was I was in you know to some, to some extent in denial I was processing on my own time but I was keep back on the treadmill mm. but then there there were aspects of my old life that didn't fit the new me anymore mm. my tolerance for Bullshit! <laughs> I just <laughs> gone way down. It was like that in my relationships. I I, um, I put up with a lot less crap from people. But then in my work too, I you know I I was a classically trained actor. I went to conservatory. I I loved theater. And when I got to New York, I made my living in in TV and commercials. And and then I would go do my art projects once a year. I'd go travel and do a play. And I wasn't really able to do that as a mother anymore. So I was kind of coming up against um, sort of just the industry, but without the art. And the work I was doing, I just wasn't satisfied with it anymore. I just wasn't, I didn't feel like I was using my gifts to make the world a better place. And because of what I'd been through, it was no longer okay for me to spend whatever time i had left and what precious time i had when i was working away from my son it wasn't no longer okay for me to for for that work to just be mediocre mm. and in some cases plain old bad but <laughs> <laughs> but you know just not it wasn't i wasn't i wanted more i raised the stakes on myself my mm. cancer raised the stakes raised the stakes on me that wasn't a choice but I, my choice was to meet it and then to, to keep that bar kind of high afterwards. Yeah. And, and so I made a career transition, but I found my way to coaching, particularly through the lens of the arts. So I do arts-based leadership development and facilitation, and my executive coaching practice is very much through the lens of, of the humanities and that work is extraordinarily fulfilling for me. I really believe in it. I, I feel like I'm making a difference. And so in that way so so I changed that aspect of my life, but there were other there were other aspects of myself that hadn't evolved yet, you know? So I was still kind of bringing that pre cancer version of myself to the the other work that I was doing. But because I changed that one thing, that one thing then changed me. It changed mm. the way that I approach my work. It changed the way that I talk to myself. Um, so I, you know, I kind of found something. I got myself into a new vocation that, that was like you were saying at the beginning of this, beginning of this conversation, Andy, that was what I was seeking for myself, that it was, Mm. it was born out of a desire to put something out into the world that I felt proud of, that then beautifully, it also gave me what I really desperately needed, which was a a different relationship with, with myself. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: And it continues to demand that I, that I work on myself and work on my relationship to myself and, and, be able to increase my capacity for compassion for myself, because that's what I'm striving to help my clients have.
0: I'm tuning into something really beautiful that hadn't occurred to me. One thing I've been leaning into a lot in the midst of this, which is something I kind of always lean into. um, This idea it's sort of this idea that you kind of go all in on okay that that's the old way of being, whether that's for you as an individual or as a community or as a society. something happens now we're gonna a totally new way of being is like we're gonna we're gonna rethink your your habits and your mindset and and all of it, and you're gonna be this totally new person, but what I love hearing you describe, which is of course much more authentic and realistic, is. The thing happens, and we still only have what we have—the coping mechanisms, the beliefs, the strength, or the whatever. We have what we have, but now there's a, there's a there's a, a little or big wedge that's kind of found its way in. And what I heard <laughs> you saying—and tell me if this is right—is that you just kind of didn't have a choice but to hear, like, "Oh, that doesn't really work anymore. So now what?" And so it wasn't like you—you—it wasn't like you had to suddenly miraculously overnight become Meg two It was just more that that life was had created a scenario where you were forced to ask the question, "Well, well, now what? What can I mm-hmm. learn from this?" And I wonder, like, is that is that a fair assessment of, of kind of how you, how you started this journey of evolution? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I think that when I was going through the cancer, I was, I was uh, um, uncovering reserves of strength that I didn't know I had and a Mm. lot of self-love and my, and maybe this is because I was pregnant too. I'll never know because I, I, I didn't. Ex- I will never have the experience of pregnancy without this mm. cancer, and hopefully, I'll never have the experience of cancer again. So, who knows which was what? But I definitely also felt really tapped into my my true voice, my mm-hmm. deep intuition,
0: mm.
1: in a way that I'd never had been before. And yet, I w- I didn't. Click into some new version of myself. I kind of thought that maybe I would. That okay, I'm paying my dues here in a big way, so everything's (laughs) going to be great after this. You know, you go through something crazy like this, and then on the other side, just you know, I was sort of fantasizing that I'd be connected to gratitude all the time for my life and the life of my son, and I, you know, I'd be living in this blissful blissful space of I made it through that, and so you know. I don't, I don't sweat the small stuff anymore. Well, guess what? I sweat the small stuff all the time <laughs> yeah. and it sucks because I feel like I should know better, but I think I do know better than I would have without this. Yeah. You know, the, the baseline does change and it's really hard to see it. And this is one of the main things I'm thinking about right now in relationship to, to COVID is that we can't see how much we're changed by Mm. something until later Mm. a lot of the time Mm. when we're right in the middle of it. So we're not going to really, you know, we're still sifting through the lessons from nine 11. Mm. I'm still very much sifting through the lessons of, of my illness during my pregnancy. And we are, we are going to be learning from and sifting through the lessons from COVID for years and so, having patience for that process, but no, trusting that the the versions of us, the 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 um, whatever is being birthed in this time because of this struggle, because of this collective challenge, that that will emerge. Those those learnings will emerge. If we are open to them emerging, if we're asking that question, what next? What now? Instead of just going back to, trying to go back to,
0: what was? Thank you, Meg. Gosh. I wish we could keep talking for another hour or two. There's so much here. I want to invite you to speak anything else To the listeners, to the anyone who might hear this, the the driving question of the show, for me, the thing that birthed this show was a question that emerged for me way back in October of last year, which was like, and it's almost felt like a voice asking, like, Andy, what is your fiercest hope for humanity? Mm. And and then and then something clicked for me and I said, Well, one of my fiercest hopes for humanity is that more people get to hear from other people who are walking the walk and see that change may be hard and growth may be hard. In fact, that seems to be kind of part of of the deal, but that it's also possible and that what comes on the other side of that, there's so much we can learn from and lean into. So I just felt this sense of like Mm -hmm. energy around creating spaces where people like you could speak to that journey. And, you mm. have, and you've done so really beautifully. So you've kind of already answered the question at least for me like I can hear in you a lot of that but if you want to speak to that question what is your fiercest hope yeah. or just anything else that you feel called to share?
1: Yes. I would love to. Thank you. I I I do have fierce hopes that that sometimes I I don't even allow myself to hold all the time, mm. you know. I I don't I don't always keep it front and center, so I really appreciate that question because I actually have a fierce hope that we will be better to each Mm. other. We will be better to each other. We will be better to the planet because I know we can. Mm. I know we can. I see it all the time. And people, you know, I work with executives in all the different sectors. And no matter what business it is, there are people there. And those people are fundamentally good. Mm. Mm. Even the people who, you know are at the very, very top and making the most and taking home the most. I know beautiful business people who, are, who care about their community, who care about their employees, who care about the supply chain, who care about the environment, who are making I'm part of the conscious capitalism movement. I, I work with them and I, I see people who are making choices from a, from, a, from a place of love and from a place of, of wanting better. And I know we can i think I think it's about not trying to unsee what, what you've seen i mean we We've seen through this pandemic that we've we've gotten more granular about the inequities that are out there. who is it who who's, who's um, who are on the front lines you know um and and are are they being compensated the way that they should be you know can can we we're allowed to say this doesn't work yeah we're allowed to say no fuck it fuck this i'm not okay with with the with the systems that have been in place me, so far you know i i i, I don't want to go back to sleep to other people's struggles i don't want to go back to sleep to the fact that after 2 weeks of of reduced industry the water is clearer. I have a client in, in Kathmandu who said she could see the Himalayas for the first time in her life after two weeks. So what is possible for us as a species is far, far more beautiful than I think what we've been hypnotized into
0: mm.
1: believing is possible.
0: Mm.
1: And it's nobody's fault. I believe we're all trying to do our best. And we just need to wake each other up to what's possible. Mm.
0: Oh, thank you. I needed to hear that. <laughs> that was really lovely, Meg. Such a treat to have you in the Wonderdome. I can't wait to get this out and share it with the world. And thank you for doing the work that you do. Here's to waking each other up.
1: Thank you, Andy.
0: All right, everyone, take care. Thanks for tuning into the Wonderdome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill with support from Kelly Surqua and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact on the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep the show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.